Welcome, welcome all to the Pro Football Radio Podcast. This is your co-host, Jay Chima, with the pride and joy of Merrimack, New Hampshire. One, the Puma Kings. Oh, uh, here we go. Puma How King. are you? I know. You know, I'm I'm good, man. I'm good. Did uh just just you know just hanging out, just nothing nothing too exciting. Life in the bubble. That's that's really the really the only thing we have going these days. Short of the draft coming up on Thursday. Oh my God, dude! I swear to God, this quarantine thing. I'm over it, man. I really am over it, man. I I miss uh just normal life, man. I miss my friends. I miss you guys. I miss Tara. I miss Brandon. I miss. Marcus, I even miss people I don't like. You know what I'm saying? That, that's how bad this has gone for me. Wow. Wow. <laughs> well, I'm honored we made the cut. Of, yeah, uh, man. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, it's just the same old, same old. Uh, just, you know, working two days. And then I was was scrolling through Instagram and, and saw Duke football put up a couple of body weight workouts. So gave that stuff a crack this week. And uh yeah, it, it completely kicked my ass. So <laughs> it was cool. a good change of routine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh we're back with an episode just to guys just to give you guys a quick rundown of what's gonna happen on this on this podcast. Um we'll just jump in, we'll kind of bullshit for a few seconds. We'll go through our top three biggest NFL draft busts of all time and then we'll jump into mock draft 2.0 where we're only doing 10 picks, but we have the option of actually trading. Uh, so we went with the, we went some trades in the first uh, first 10 picks. But other than that, man, uh, quarantine life, man, it's, it's starting to really kick my ass, Brent. It really is. My hair's starting to get long. You know, I'm at that point now where I'm like, fuck it, just let it rip. Let's see what happens kind of thing. Dude, I turned on the TV the other day, and I shit you not, the morning news was giving advice on how to cut your hair at home. And I shit you not, I thought to myself, that's like a that's like a certain form of terrorism right there for giving people that kind of ammo to cut their own hair. Could you imagine? <laughs> oh my god. Well, I mean, some people are doing it. I was reading online, I think it was CNN, uh, where th- like the headline was the first panic buy was toilet paper. Now the panic buys are, you know, like the home like the homemade hair dye kits that you get in like the health and beauty section of the mm-hmm. grocery store and then like clippers. Like you can't find any of that in the store. And and I got a good laugh out of it. I'm 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 just gonna grow my hair out. For those of you that know me, it's gonna look like an afro. So I I might be wearing a pick by the time the wedding rolls around if like the the barber shops and the the salons are closed. So yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's gonna be a, a pretty poofy head of hair in the next couple of months. So yeah, how's uh, how's the wedding preparation coming along for you guys? Well, it's uh, it, we're still doing business as usual. Uh, Tara has to kind of juggle um, the 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 dress fittings and and stuff because it was originally supposed to be done. I want to say around May nineteenth or twentieth, but the governor of Connecticut uh, extended the stay at home order through I think May twenty first. Yeah. So a couple of things are in flux in regards to that. But beyond that, we haven't heard anything from the venue or the DJ or anything. So, I mean, we're still going like full steam ahead until we hear otherwise. I have to somehow figure out a way to get sized for a tux with life under the bubble. So Mm. hopefully, even if I have to go to a men's warehouse with a mask on, uh, we can figure something out after May 21st. So fingers crossed. Yeah, man. And, and I hope you can, man. And I hope you can, like, figure this out. I hope whoever, whoever you choose to go through, they'll, they'll be able to work with you. The one thing I'm really starting to get sick and tired of is 
yes, I get it. It's a big, it's a big issue, and we've got to make sure we got to do whatever we can to flatten the curve. But it doesn't mean like life has to stop. Like I'm starting to see all these super negative, like you know, comments by people or by the media just scaring you to death. Like I actually am applauding the NFL for obviously having the draft in a different format than what they would like for it to be. Like, I'm glad they didn't, they didn't just throw up their hands and say, we're over it. I'm glad they're finding a new solution. I'm happy they're looking for different ways of doing this instead of just throwing their hands up in the air and saying, oh, it's canceled, it's over. Like, I'm sick and tired of negativity, man. Just just find a way to do it. Like, I get it. It's not optimal. But even the MLB, uh, how they're trying to figure out a way of having, you know, two leagues now, two divisions, and only playing in one stadium. Like, I, I will actually watch now because – they're trying to get around this somehow instead of just throwing up their, their hands up in the air and saying, uh, I'm sorry, can't do it, you know? Yeah, but in, in regards to baseball, this is my opinion. If they don't start playing by July, they might as well call it a wrap on the season because nobody, like nobody, even in Arizona, are you going to be able to play baseball into December and whatnot? All the networks are going to lose their mind. I mean, they're going to, the networks are going to start losing their mind when the Masters comes around because I think. That's the final round. It's still up for, uh, you know, it's still out in the open. It's subject to change. But that final would fall on a Sunday where there's also, you know, NFL going on and CBS carries both. So they're going to have to, the CBS is going to have to figure out which one do they carry. Do they carry the Masters on the main program and they bump football to CBS Sports? Like both. Both organizations are going to be pissed if they get relegated to, you know, the B channel when they should be up front and center in front of everybody. So if, if baseball doesn't start playing by July, I would be surprised if they're even able to get an abbreviated season in. And the NBA, same deal. I mean, sooner or later, they're going to have to pull the pull the ripcord and either play without fans or just call the season a wash because – if they just keep delaying, 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 that's going to affect the next maybe two to three NBA seasons if they keep that up. So it's, at some point, something has to give. Like, I'm, I'm all for having sports and normalcy back, but at, at the, the snowball effect, they, they have to figure out what the breaking point is. Yeah, but so what? Adjust on the fly, man. So what if it offends, uh, affects the next two or three seasons? I'm well, sure then it's going to affect. Then it's it, going to you know? it's going to it's going to affect contracts and how how veterans become vested and how soon they can hit free agency. I mean, Major League Baseball is now. I, I think there were rumblings that they're going to start going to to players to take a pay cut, even if they do play, because a lot of that revenue is driven by the networks and the fans. And if there's no fans in attendance. That that's going to affect the the bottom line, not just for like the multi million dollar or you know hundreds of million dollar players like you know Bryce Harper and uh, and Mike Trout and Manny Machado, but even the guys on the end of the bench. And I mean they're covering the 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 uh, the contracts for minor league baseball players right now, but I mean even then that well is going to run dry too, even if they have like a, a endowment or of some sort to to cover payroll. So it's at some point, the, the well's going to run dry. I don't think the government's going to bail out sports either. So who who knows? They, they're going to have to start stacking sandbags at some point. Yeah, and uh, and obviously you're much more up to this than I am, but uh, they're essentially looking to go, what, mid-May with, uh, with what MLB's little plan they have out there with the local health officials. They're taking into account the information from those guys 
Uh, was it mid-May or early June? When was that supposed to be launched? Somewhere around May. That They've been kicking around the Arizona idea where they would just have, you know, a, all the teams go down into Arizona and they would play and, and, and split the divisions up. And I don't know what kind of hodgepodge way they would do it because there's only so many stadiums in Arizona when you compare it to Florida. But essentially, it'd almost be like they would sequester, like I mentioned on our last episode, sequester all of the officials, all of the training staff, all of the players into just one location. And then they would go and they, they would play and then they would go back and just stay locked down in these hotels. But even then, that's up in the air. That's pending uh, MLB uh, PA, the, the players union. That's pending their approval as well. And. You know, who knows what the governors and the health officials are going to do. And, and a lot of it's pending on how much testing is going to be accessible. And, and I think just from a PR aspect of things that if, you know, sports leagues, in this case, Major League Baseball, if they're able to constantly get a flow of testing before the general American public are going to be able to, that would be a PR nightmare. And I think that might be one of the reasons why no real league short of the NFL is really gung-ho about starting anytime soon, but the NFL has time on their side. They're, they're not slated to kick off until September, whereas the, these leagues are supposed to be going on right now. Yeah, but I mean, the glimmer of hope is there. Like, you're starting to see uh, the narrative and the messaging get a little softer from governors and health officials. Um, you're starting to see the, you know, MLB throwing around the idea of coming back, and there's a couple plans for the NBA to come back, but I, I tell you what, I, I think uh, we're we're towards more towards the end of resuming life uh, in some sort of capacity. It's not going to be the, it's not going to be normal from what we're used to, but I mean, I do fully expect the NFL season to go off without a hitch. Obviously, been, there might not be fans in the stands. There might be half the stadium is full. Whatever, whatever they're going to put, uh, you know, contingency plans into play. I do believe the NFL season will go on uh, for all games, all seventeen se- all seventeen weeks. Yeah, yeah. My my barometer for that, and it kind of falls in line with the the wedding, is at least like with the sports aspect of things. I should say is most of these major events that were canceled, like Wimbledon and the Open uh, and and whatnot. They were like they used the three month mark as like the the signing point. So when we get to June or July, that's when I'll start watching and seeing you know what what conti- what contingency plans the NFL has in store because they can come out and say, no, we don't work. I mean, we're kind of working on contingency plans, but like, you know, we're, we, we really don't have anything in play yet, but I mean, it, sooner or later, it, something is going to come to light. Something will be leaked out of what the plan B would be. Uh, and I think that would come out around June, July timeframe. Well, the NFL schedule is supposed to be released the week of May 9th. And I'm sure they have to have some sort of backup plan. They've already worked out in the back end. There's a reason why it's taking so long for them to release the schedule anyways. Um, but, uh, the, I mean, I, listen, at the end of the day, I'd love, I would love nothing more for the NFL season to go off without a hitch. But I, even I understand there's a chance that there's a backup plan. I just, I just want something. I just, want, I just don't want people to throw up their hands and just say, fuck this shit. Like, the whole negative aspect of what's on TV, what's on social media, every time we turn around, it's just like there's no positive news anymore in regards to the coronavirus, which I understand it's a serious situation, but I just want people to, you know, put in, put in an effort, man. Just try to figure out a way to make this happen, and if it's not what we expect, then whatever, fuck, at least you tried, you know? Mm. Yep. But here I am in life doing, uh, doing the podcast via Skype, and... 
the other what was it last week i had a what was supposed to be just a, a happy hour zoom session turned into a, a five-hour zoom session with with uh with my boys back in the 603 so at least like nowadays we have technology when we're able to do stuff where if this happened when we were i don't know 13 years old when all we had was you know aol instant messenger or a dial-up we'd all be wanting to shoot ourselves oh so. my god could you imagine oh if my this, god this was back in the early 90s <laughs> yeah all we have is uh game boy tamagotchi and like the little the the, the <laughs> stupid paper folding games yeah, yeah yeah i can see nintendo coming out with a six feet cord so you can link up your game boys and play like pokemon battles right <laughs> right exactly <clears throat> uh okay cool man so uh, like I mentioned on the top of the podcast, um, we're going to jump right into our top three busts of all time in the uh, in the draft, and then we're going to jump into Mock Draft 2.0. And to kick things off, man, I gave this quite a bit of thought, and this isn't in any particular order, like one, two, three. I just know three people off the top of my mind that really kind of stood out to me that have been all-time busts um, were obviously Ryan Leaf, which is well-documented. Uh, he came out of the same class as Peyton Manning, and there was a big debate about who should go number one. And obviously, Colts made the right decision of taking um, Peyton Manning. But Ryan Leaf, he was an absolute bust, man. Had all kinds of issues with with drugs. Um, just couldn't get it together. So that's that's one of my uh, picks. Uh, the second one is Jamarcus Russell. Uh, I think uh, the number one overall draft pick from 2007 out of LSU, quarterback for the Raiders, um, was just one of the worst picks of all time. I mean, we could, and me being a college football fan, I watched him that year in 2007 at LSU. And I did see for half that year, he looked pretty horrendous to average. But then he had this immense, like, uh, last, you know, two or three games where the bowl game was awesome and the last, you know, the last home game was awesome. So it kind of really inflated his stock. And that's where the Raiders jumped in and took him really high. But he also wasn't um, that good of a quarterback and obviously washed out of the NFL. Um, and then finally, the last one is Akili Smith. Um, quarterback that was taken out, uh, that was taken, uh, I believe, like, in 1997 or 98, uh, quite a bit ago. But the reason why I, I, I chose Achilles Smith is because on draft day, there was actually a, a, a deal put in place by the Saints uh, to go up and take Achilles Smith. Uh, but Mike Brown, uh, the owner of the team, actually decided to turn the deal down. The deal was absolutely insane. It was three first-round picks in the next three years. And then essentially all of that draft for that year as well. So it was like first, second, fourth, fifth, and sixth, and then three first round picks. And essentially Mike Brown turned that down. And as we all know, Achilles Smith, he was like three and 14 as a starter, had like twice as many interceptions and touchdowns. So those three right there are my top three biggest draft busts of all time, man. How about you? Yeah, I mean, there's this overlap with one, and one of them is Jamarcus Russell. And, and I remember the, the 2007 season uh, well, too. And really, it was just the performance in the, the Sugar Bowl that, that mm -hmm. made him be the number one prospect. He was touted as, you know, and he had, the, he had a good arm, and he was a big body. He had a lot of attributes. But, man, like, he tanked. He tanked the combine interview. The, the I think the Wonderlic score was like down in the floor. I mean, <laughs> it was bad. And he got and this was before the rookie wage scale. So when he signed that contract with the uh, at then the Oakland Raiders, I think it was like uh, a sixty-one million dollar contract with thirty-one or thirty-two million guaranteed and. He only played two seasons, and my favorite story that uh, I saw recently uh, was the the Raiders staff. They were so tired of 
Jamarcus Russell's, you know, antics and, and lack of taking pride in, in the craft that they sent him a, a box of blank tapes or blank DVDs and said, hey, study these blitz packages and, you know, come back tomorrow and we're going to go on the whiteboard and we're going to break everything down for this week's opponent. And these these tapes are blank. Jamarcus Russell takes these home and he and when they ask him uh, the next day to be like, hey, like, did you watch the tapes? Did you study them up? He just he lied and said, yeah, like I totally looked at it, looked at it. They were in the Tampa, two, And I watched this tape and they're like, dude, you, there was nothing on it. You clearly did not watch anything. And then the next thing you know, uh, he, he was out the, out of the league the following year. And it, it's, yeah. it's just crazy. It's just it, it's insane. And he's probably going to go down as the biggest bust in history. And then the other two that come to mind well, for me. Before you get off that, like I, I looked up his contract just to give you the, the, the audience some numbers. Six-year, $61 million contract with the Raiders, which included $32 million guaranteed, and an average annual salary of $10 million for doing absolutely nothing, right? I mean, the guy couldn't obviously get it together mentally to be on the field. Um, he, when he was on the field, he was not that great. Uh, he couldn't keep his weight down. He had issues with the purple drank. Remember the purple drank thing? That yeah, it was like Cody Kool-Aid. Yeah, it's like, dude, the guy was an absolute nightmare, and that's where, you know um, – you watch that season at LSU and you think to yourself, this is why the Raiders are the Raiders. This is why Al Davis is Al Davis because he makes these dumb decisions and he falls in love with people that sh- that have no absolute, you know, right being picked number one overall. Yep. Yep. Uh, my other two picks are, they're both running backs. Uh, the, the first one that comes to mind for me is, uh, is Lawrence Phillips. Uh, he was, he was running back in the 90s uh, for the Nebraska Cornhuskers. And even in college, he, he had a checkered pass. He, he got popped a couple of times for assault on a student. And then uh, the second time, which made national headlines, was his then-girlfriend was on the, the women's basketball team and assaulted her. And, you know, you could just look up the court case. It's pretty grisly details. And the, the head coach at the time didn't suspend him, uh, reinstated him, actually, and then had the – the balls to start him in the Fiesta Bowl where the Cornhuskers, I believe, won the national title uh, that year. And he declares for the draft. He's picked sixth overall by the St. Louis Rams. And what kind of turns the knife in all this is on draft day, the Rams agreed to a trade with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they traded their future Hall of Fame running back, Jerome Bettis, I believe, to move up in the draft to take Lawrence Phillips. Lawrence Phillips only lasted a year and and change down in St. Louis. He was traded. He had a cup of coffee with the Miami Dolphins for two years. Then he bounced around with the 49ers and NFL Europe and the Canadian Football League. And then off-field issues, he ended up in prison uh, for 10 years. He was a suspect in uh, murdering a cellmate. And then I think it was in 2015 or 16, uh, they found him hanging in his jail cell. So that that one sticks out to me because uh, uh, Showtime Sports did a, a documentary on him called Lawrence Phillips Running for Your Life or Running for His Life. And that, that's that's an incredible documentary right there about him. And then the other one is Trent Richardson, a great career out of Alabama. Oh <laughs> came in, I believe it was drafted number three by the Cleveland Browns, had an incredible rookie year. I think he ran the ball maybe 200 times for almost 1,000 yards rushing and uh, 11 touchdowns. And then the following year, uh, I believe it was 2013, he was only with the Browns for two years, uh, for two games rather, got traded to Indianapolis for a first round draft pick. And it just it never panned out. Uh, he was suspended at one point. 
uh, for a playoff game by the Colts for missing a walkthrough, but behind closed doors, he couldn't keep the weight down. He, you know, he was just a, he was a bust. He didn't pan out. Uh, he he hooked on real quick with the Baltimore Ravens and the the Oakland Raiders, uh, but he never made it past final roster cut down. And you know he had a good he had a good run in the AAF. Uh, he was the most productive <laughs> player. He had uh, I think he scored a touchdown in every game, uh, at least one. He finished his career in the AAF before they folded with eleven total touchdowns. But he just never keep it together. And and those are the the big draft busts that come to mind for me. Yeah, that Lawrence Phillips story is pretty heartbreaking, man. Um, at the end of the day, I, I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but the dude was a piece of trash from a being. Um, at the end of the day, he did he made decisions where he physically put his hands on his significant other, and, and in my eyes, there's no coming back from that. Um, I, I think Dick Vermeil himself, I mean, kept him at his house uh, just to keep him on the on the straight and narrow, just so you know he would keep everything together. But obviously, even Dick Vermeil's um, you know, um, help along the way didn't didn't do anything for him. And Trent Richardson, he's a different kind of bad. Um, when you have memes that are made about how bad you are, um, you know those memes where it's like it's the view from behind the quarterback and the running back, and you know uh, Trent Richardson is running towards all the players, but there's a massively open <laughs> hole to the left. So yep. uh, he's uh, he's he's all kinds of bad man. And I remember uh, coming out of Alabama. I mean, listen, you couldn't predict it. I mean, out of Alabama, he was absolutely insane. He checked off all the boxes. He was physically gifted. He played in a tough, you know, uh, SEC conference where you run between the tackles. So that one, you just chalk it up to, you know, bad luck, apparently. Yep. Yes, uh, sir. Okay, cool. So draft bust uh, put aside. Uh, you wanted to hit on uh, Christian McCaffrey real quick before we did the mock draft, correct? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, in between the last recording and this one, uh, him, uh, Christian McCaffrey and the Panthers agreed to, a, I believe it was like a four-year contract extension where it's 16 million a year uh for what was it a total like 60 60 plus million i mean he's he's the highest paid running back now in nfl history and he kind of did it rather quietly it wasn't like zeke where it was a holdout it was a blow up and he had issues on field but you know i i, I feel like Yes, the current narrative is you shouldn't pay a running back, you know, that money. Look at Exhibit A, David Johnson, Exhibit B, uh, you know, Todd Gurley, Exhibit C, Devonta Freeman. But this guy, he does so much more than just run between the tackles. He could line up in the slot. He, he, I think he led or he was second in the league this year behind total receptions behind, uh, you know, Michael Thomas. And, you know, we can get in the weeds of, you know, how much of that was a check down, how productive were those touches. But the fact is, is he's such a dynamic part of this offense. The wide receiver core in Carolina has been, you know, suboptimal the last couple of years. And I think right now, Matt Rule and and, uh, and Joe Brady, they're going to design an offense centered around him. And, you know, I also think it was one of those instances where, it's probably better to pay him that now than have him go off again uh, this year and then do the fifth year option. Then it can get real dicey with do you, do you franchise tag him? Do you drag the drag him through the mud to, in contract negotiations? At least now they're able to hash things out. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens when Alvin Kamara comes up because he's used pretty similarly down in New Orleans in that offense like Christian McCaffrey. Not as efficient, but pretty close. Uh, so I don't mind the signing of Christian McCaffrey to that extension. I think he's worth it. And I think, you know, th- there's enough evidence 
that Matt Rule is going to look and see ways that he needs to preserve Christian McCaffrey for the long term. Because now Christian McCaffrey is the face of the franchise. So they're going to have to come up with ways of limiting his touches or not having him line up so much in the backfield and put him out wide at wide receiver at times. Yeah, man, I, I absolutely hate the move. I, I see it completely different from you, man. I, I think you never, ever get to the point of paying running backs big money, um, even even if it is Christian McCaffrey. And, you know, to, to point out that Todd Gurley just about three years ago was this version of Christian McCaffrey where they leaned heavily on him to support up the offense. Like, I, I just don't see – I can't remember the last time a running back made an impact to get you to the Super Bowl. Like, I just I just don't see it. If anything, these guys, the Panthers, should have – uh, when I had a franchise tag, didn't put the old Derrick Henry route, right? Um, but I, I just, I, I thought it was a horrific move. I thought, in general, I think Matt Rule is doing a pretty shitty job of his decision-making so far. I am not high on Teddy Bridgewater. I think he's a middle-of-the-pack quarterback. And you go out, you get rid of Cam Newton, and you bring Teddy Bridgewater in, where you're going to go 8-8, eight and eight, maybe 9-7 max. Um, at least with Cam Newton, you have the, you know, the upside of being great, or you have the upside of being crap, which if you're a crap, then you have a better draft decision. But being in the middle of the pack of the NFL gets you nowhere. So I'm looking at all these moves that, uh, that Matt Rule's making, and I'm thinking to myself, I, I don't like them one bit. Obviously, I'm not a Panthers fan, but uh, from, uh, from, my, from my vantage point, man, I just don't like the moves that he pulled both with uh, Christian McCaffrey and Terry Bridgewater. Ah, you got to tank for Trevor. You got to tank for Trevor. I think, that's the, I think this is really just, you know, rebuild a la Miami Dolphin style and just try to tear it down to the studs and – and build around key pieces of of the franchise, and I, I think this is this is case in point one because Teddy Bridgewater's contract, I think it's like it's three years, two of which are basically fully guaranteed, and, and he's really just like a, he's a bridge guy. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do in this draft. I don't think they're taking a quarterback in the first round, but you know who knows? They might if Tua falls down to down to to seven. Where they're picking, who knows? Maybe they might go that route to to find their new face of the franchise, or they could just punt, ride it out with Teddy Bridgewater, and go for Trevor Lawrence next year and see what, what happens with the with the draft capital. Because I don't think they're going anywhere in this division, so they might you know hedge their bets and get a top draft pick next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the way I see it, these guys have probably been playing for last in the division. Um, you never know what the Falcons, the Falcons could be absolutely amazing or they can be absolute trash. But I, I, the way I see it playing out, I do, I do think it's going to be the Panthers last night division. So, uh, we shall see how the season plays out. Um, in regards to the next topic on the list to cover today, PFR podcast, uh, draft 2.0. Good, sir. Uh, we're only doing 10 picks this time around instead of 16 and we have the ability to trade. And with the number one overall pick, uh, the Puma King is up on the board. All right, this was, a, this was a fairly easy decision uh, as, you know, Puma, general manager of the Cincinnati Bengals. We're on the clock, and the Bengals pick quarterback Joe Burrow out of LSU. This, this was a, a no-brainer decision uh, in regards to, to the franchise. Uh, it's well-known. He's a rags-to-riches kind of story. He's a local Ohio kid, and he, he has – it's more than just what he does on the field. He brings a cool factor to the franchise. He's going to be the new face of the franchise. Something this this uh, this organization has lost has lost for a really long time. I mean, you, some people can go back and say we've been missing a face of the franchise since the Boomer Esiason days. I mean, there was Carson Palmer and company, but nobody really was the face of the franchise like Boomer. And I think we could recreate that with Joe Burrow. Uh, he he has a man of the people vibe. 
his stat, you know, his attributes, his arm. It's not a cannon, but it's good enough to get down the field, good enough to get by. He's mobile enough in the pocket to escape and elude the rush. Uh, and you know what? His knock is he doesn't rush. He's not a mobile enough quarterback. But last year he rushed 115 times for 368 yards, averaging about 3.2 yards a carry and had double digit touchdowns. And in 2018, same deal, 128 rushes for 400 yards, 3.2 yards a carry. He can move the sticks when need be. And it's going to be fun to see what happens in this offense. Uh, the one knock has been, you know, 2018 to 2019 his 2018 stats he only threw for a tick under 3,000 yards 16 touchdowns and five picks but in 2019 he basically doubled everything I mean he threw for 56 uh 5,600 yards pretty much 60 touchdowns six interceptions and the big thing uh the common denominator in that is the offense went away from the traditional we're just gonna win on defense we're gonna run the football down your throat and the quarterback's basically a game manager to we have Joe Brady come in last year at LSU and just spread everything out a lot of three wide receiver sets one tight end just spread the entire field and he would just pick these defenses apart and I think he's gonna thrive under Zach Taylor's offense it's similar to uh, to Sean McVay's. So it's going to be fun to see what he can do with these weapons of A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon, and that offensive line short up with Jonah Williams coming back. So no-brainer, Joe Burrow is the pick. Yeah, and even that 2018 season that he had down at LSU, I don't fault him for his uh, lack of numbers because if you look at that season closely, um, he was hurt for quite a bit. And when around the middle part of the season to the later you know, quarter part of the season – he did get healthy, and his numbers started to increase uh, exponentially. Um, but you're right, man. This is a no-brainer for the Bengals. I, you know, I'm a big, fa- I'm a listen. I'm a fan of Joe Burrow. I'm not high on what kind of quarterback he is. Um, you know my take on where the NFL is going, but um, I think for the Bengals, you cannot uh, pass up on Joe Burrow. He's right down the street from Ohio. He'll be a he'll be a great plug a plug and play for, uh, quarterback for you guys. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it, it's it's a lock in my eyes now. If it was me personally sitting in that draft room, I would consider trading out of the number one overall pick, man. Like, if I was Mike Brown, I'd see what somebody's going to come to me with. And if they give you an Achilles Smith kind of deal with three number one draft picks and essentially all the draft picks from this year as well, would you not think about it? I mean, I would. See, I, I, I convinced Mike Brown that we're going to have a LeBron James S poster right outside of the stadium in Cincinnati after we, you know, the beginning of the season, we're going to take that iconic photo of, of Joe Burrow sitting there with this after the national championship, smoking on a cigar, looking like, you know, Joe Willie Namath. We're going to juxtapose that with some Bengals jerseys, and we're going to have that all over the city of Cincinnati. So I was able to get him to pry open his wallet a little bit to expand on the marketing department. Uh, I I feel like trading out of that number one draft pick would have been a bridge too far with Mike Brown. Yeah, yeah, and you're right, man. I think he's going to see the dollar signs. Um, That's all he thinks about. And and I feel bad for Joe Burrow because he's walking in a situation where the organization is not hell-bent on winning. You know, Mike Brown at the end of the day is the cheapest owner in all of NFL, and all he sees is dollar signs. And especially in that division, you got Lamar Jackson, you've got Big Ben for another year, maybe two years. You've got Baker Mayfield and the Browns, man. As much as we like to clown the Browns, that is a stacked roster. And if they can put it together, that's a three, four year uh, team, uh, three, four years of good play out of the Browns as well. So I'm looking at Joe Burrow's situation. I'm thinking to myself, brother, 
you're in for some rough times if they don't, you know, build around you properly and they don't fundamentally change their view about winning. And, and I think this late in the game with who Mike Brown is and how old he is, he's not going to fundamentally change who he is, right? He, he's all about the money. He's not about winning. Yeah, yeah, something like that. It's it's gonna be fun to see, but I, I think I think we're gonna surprise some people uh, in the in the AFC conference with uh, with what we put for offensive squad on the field. But uh, Washington is on the clock, and Sarchima, you have the pick. Listen, this is a no brainer as well. Um, <clears throat> if Joe Burrow wasn't uh, you know in this draft, then the number one draft pick would be Chase Young. So I have the Washington Redskins taking Chase Young. Uh, defensive end out of Ohio State. Listen, my, my draft rate for this kid is around 96. Um, his strengths, man, absolute freak. Absolute athletic uh, specimen. Um, he has the height. He has the weight. He has the speed. When you look at a guy that's 6'8", that can move close to what a tight end can move, it's kind of jaw-dropping. Um, I mean, his speed-to-power ratio is elite as well. He can beat you not just like, you know, with speed, but he can beat you with power as well. And most of the time when I watch him, this is something that people overlook, but if you look at the, at the film closely, he's not just a speed guy. There, there are times where he's driving two offensive linemen because of, he's, he's being double teamed at most times right back into the quarterback. So uh, I think he has a variety of ways to win. And the only weakness I really see out of him, man, is like sometimes, you know, elite, elite pass, he's an elite pass rusher, but he needs to get better against the run. Um, that's the only knock I can throw on him. But at the end of the day, man, he is an absolute stud. Um, he's going to fill in. He's going to fill out that defensive line for Washington, which is already a good defensive line. Um, and Ron Rivera is going to absolutely love this kid. Um, no brainer here in my eyes as well. Yeah, I was going to say, I really don't have any critiques to say about the pick or the player. I mean, the one thing I would say, uh, Jay, is his his knock, uh, the one knock. That's, it's almost like a reach. The guy is basically the perfect prospect. Uh, so it's going to be fun to see how that translates down uh, to uh, Washington with Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio and, you know, Daniel Jones and and Dak Prescott and Carson Wentz. They're going to have to be very aware of where he is on the field. They can move him around. It's going to free up Ryan Kerrigan and, and, and Deron Payne at times on that uh, defensive line. And I think I think they're going to surprise some people with some some of the stats that the defense as a whole uh, in Washington is going to be able to put up. So I love the pick. Uh, now, what's your, if, now, what's your thoughts on – I don't cut you off there, but what's your thoughts on Washington potentially moving out of that pick? No, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, unless they were given a king's ransom, uh, given like, you know, a bunch of – First round draft picks for this year, a couple of second rounders, and maybe future first ones. I just, I just don't think you can pass up the opportunity to get a talent like this uh, in in the NFL, and especially when you're a defensive minded head coach. Maybe if you know Joe Burrow wasn't on the board and you know Chase Young was sitting there at one, maybe Mike Brown would think about that. But I mean, Ron Rivera, I think he's he's clearly the man in charge now down in Washington. And I, I think the owner, Dan Snyder, is actually listening to his head coach for once uh, that there's there's no way uh, unless he, the Washington Redskins get part ownership of the trading team that they're going to move out of number two. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I, I think you're spot on. I think, like I said, with Joe Burrow, I would consider it. But with this kid and Chase Young, I would not consider it, man. This guy, he's going to be a staple on your defense for the next eight to ten years, however long he plays. 
Um, he's this this game is very simple. I know a lot of time we overcomplicate it. The NFL game is very simple. You must have a quarterback that can throw the football, and you must have a defensive lineman that can get to the quarterback. And you're you're just taking one box off here of that equation. And I think Chase Young is going to be a great one for the Redskins for for the long haul. Uh, so number three, it is actually your pick, but we have a trade, correct? Yes, yes. So right as soon as uh, the Detroit Lions, uh, my team, got on the clock, uh, you called and you proposed a trade that I just I couldn't say no to. So. Uh, the trade details, I'm trading out of number three, uh, I'm trading down to the Chargers, I'm trading down to the number six pick, but I'm getting a 2020 second rounder from the Chargers, and I'm getting their cornerback Desmond King uh, in return for the Chargers to pick at number three, and they get one of my fifth round draft picks in 2020. So you are on the clock, and I'll get into the reasons why I did the trade when the Lions are on the clock at number six. All right, number three, I have the Los Angeles Chargers moving up into number uh, number three to take Tua, the quarterback from Alabama. Um, this is, in my eyes, a trade that could very likely happen Thursday night when we all sit down to watch the draft. Um, the reason being, Tua, first of all, is just an immense talent. Uh, my, my, my draft uh, rating for him is uh, about 96, which is fairly high for not the number one quarterback off the board. Um, he's a legit dual-threat quarterback that can beat you with his arm or his legs. I mean, he throws the best deep ball in this draft class. Um, and his anticipation, which I love the most, the way you win in the NFL is you anticipate routes. And his anticipation of short and immediate routes um, is uh, second to none. He can fit balls into tight windows. Um, obviously, the knocks against him, man. Listen, he's a short dude. And obviously, the injury history is very well chronicled. Um, but I think this is another situation where you know, if the this is this is essentially my eyes, the Dolphins passing up on Drew Brees because of medical issues. This is what Tua, Tua kind of uh, screams at me is, yeah, there's some you know uh, injury history issues there, but you take this guy, you plug him in, um, he's going to do wonders for your franchise going forward. And I think the Chargers got a potential Hall of Famer in the making here. I know I'm trying to get way too ahead of myself, but you got to look at the division, you got to look at what's what's in front of you. You've got Patrick Mahomes twice. Um, how are you going to beat Patrick Mahomes? And the only way you can beat him is with another stud quarterback. And I think Tua, Tua is that guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, if if it wasn't for COVID-19, there really wouldn't be any any questions about Tua's medicals. And, you know, as insensitive as it sounds, I'm not trying to come off that way. But none of these teams are able to get their hands on, on Tua with their own doctors. I mean, you could have all these – third-party individuals come out and say he's healthy and Trent Dilfer can do a, a pro day video uh, with, with Tua down in, I think it's Tennessee or something like that. But until the doctors actually get their hands on Tua, that's going to be the ultimate question mark. And, you know, we're, their biggest fear is, you know, he takes one hit and that hip shatters. So no, nobody knows. The talent has always been there. Uh, he's been a, he's a proven winner down in Alabama. And, you know, and from a Chargers aspect, from a marketing aspect of things, they need to sell seats in a new stadium. So this is one of those big moves where he's going to he's going to be a lightning lightning rod for a franchise that really hasn't made a lot of uh, good press over the last couple of years. It's always been the kind of like the butt of jokes of, you know, the roster has always been elite, but the quarterback has held them held them back because, you know, he would always throw a pick six at the wrong time and cost the team a game. So he'll be able to change that narrative and hopefully get a couple of wins in the win column for the Chargers moving forward. 
Yeah, and the one thing with Tua, man, is he doesn't turn the ball over. He is extremely careful with the ball. Um, and that's something, like you mentioned, with Philip Rivers, man. He's like he's like James Winston 2.0 on the West Coast, right? Just close your eyes and throw it up in the air, and hopefully something good happens. Yep. And that sucks because I'm a, I'm a Philip Rivers guy, and it hurt me to say that, but it's a fact. Listen, but, we're, um, we're here to uh, give you some hard-hitting analysis, all right? We put our feelings <laughs> aside, all right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. All right, well, you're on the clock again. Uh, you are the general manager for the New York football Giants. Oh, God, I'm Dave Gettleman. Jesus Christ, how, how bad did my life turn out that I'm Gettleman now? <laughs> well, real quick, real quick before you announce the pick, on Thursday, which team do you think – is going to have the first IT issue. Because I'm torn between Dave Gettleman and the Giants and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Jason Light and Bruce Arians. And I think Bruce is just going to have enough and just spike his laptop. And it's it's going to be Jason Light on his own making, making picks for the franchise with no input from his coach. But I can see it going either way. Who, which team do you think is going to have the first oh, technical ha- issue? Hands down, Gettleman. I, I think Gettleman's He's, a bumbling okay. idiot. I mean, the guy, you know how I feel about him. The guy is one of the dumbest GMs of all time, right? I just think he's going to say, I'm out of my league. I don't know what I'm doing with this uh, IT bullshit and what's up with this laptop. I'm just going to phone it in. I'm just going to call people, and that's how I'm going to do it. <laughs> nice. He's going to call Geek Squad to make the pick. Exactly, right? Um, okay, cool. So being the general manager for the Giants at number four, I give this pick quite a bit of thought, and there's a high chance they're going to go with an offensive tackle here or some sort of offensive line help here to help out Daniel Jones, but I threw a little bit of a curveball in our draft just because Isaiah Simmons is still sitting there, and Isaiah Simmons is my pick for the uh, the Giants uh, on draft night. Um, He is the linebacker out of Clemson, uh, freakish athlete. My draft grade for him is 95. Listen, we talked about his strength last week, and I was gushing about it. He can line up anywhere, whether it's linebacker, slot corner, edge rusher, even safety positions. Um, his elite athleticism allows him to match up with tight ends, wide receivers, slot receivers. Um, he has sideline to sideline speed. Uh, the guy is an absolute freak. Um, I mean, his weakness, he's better linebacker than a safety, but given his bigger frame, that makes complete sense. Um, and the one thing that we talked about last week as well, man, he's got he's to be a better tackler. He will... He will, his speed will get him to that spot to make the tackle, but then his mechanics kind of, uh, you know, fault him there. So, so I think it's a, it's a pick where Isaiah Simmons will be a great fit for Joe Judge and that off and, and that defense. Um, I think uh, a little bit of a curveball here. I think it could actually happen on, on draft night. Yeah, in all reports, you know, regardless of where you find it, whether or not it's, you know, Art Stapleton of NJ.com or local reporters from the New York Post or the Daily News or or nationally, uh, the, the, the common line of thinking is it's either going to be uh, Simmons or it's going to be an, an offensive tackle. It's it's one of these two. It's pretty cut and dry. I don't really buy the the thought that Dave Gettleman's actually going to trade out of number four. Um, there's been, he, he kind of kicked the tires on that in a press call earlier this week. But I mean, if you're able to get one of these guys, one of the top tackles or Isaiah Simmons in this draft, I don't think you really punt on that opportunity. Uh, especially when he, he basically has to win now. I mean, he's, he's on the hot seat, like Matt Patricia and, and Bob Quinn down in Detroit, where they have to, it's put up or shut up time. And Isaiah Simmons, he fills the need on that defense. It's a Joe, it's Joe judge as the head coach. He comes from the bill Belichick, uh, Nick Saban tree of coaching, and he would be able to line up Isaiah Simmons all over the field and, and wreak havoc on the defense. So it, it, I have no problem with the pick at all. 
Uh, I think it's the instant plug and play. They haven't really had a great linebacker uh, on the New York Giants since, you know, their Super Bowl runs. I mean, the, really, the only one that comes to mind is like, you know, O.C. Uminiora, Antonio Pierce, and like those defensive guys. So it hasn't been anybody on the Giants like that in a really long time. And I think that they can change the narrative by picking Simmons. Yeah, I mean, listen, this guy, he, he's, he's in that league of athleticism where you look at him and you think, oh, my God, how can a man that big move that quickly? Me and you were both sitting there watching that Instagram video where he was running step for step with the running back. And the running back is like, you know, you know, five inches shorter than him and like 50 pounds lighter. And he's a running back. He's a scat back. So obviously he has the speed. But this freak of, a, of, a, of an athlete is keeping up with him stride for stride. So I think he'll be a, he'll be a great pick for Joe Judge and he'll anchor that defensive line for years to come. Yes, sir. Uh, okay, cool. Moving up next to number five, the Miami Dolphins, which is your team. Who do you have them taking here, good sir? All right, as Chris Greer of the Miami Dolphins, we're on the clock at number five, and we pick Andrew Thomas, offensive lineman, Georgia. Yes, we went with the the glaring need short of quarterback, and that is we need to fix this offensive line. We've had issues on the left side since we traded Laramie Tunsil for the Hall of Draft picks that we got from Billow the Clown, Bill O'Brien down in Houston. And in my opinion, Andrew Thomas is the top guy to play on the left side in this draft. You know, there hasn't been a whole lot of press about him. He hasn't gotten the buzz like a Tristan Wirfs or a Mackay Becton or, or whatnot. But, you know, he had a great career down in Georgia. He's a solid player. He's versatile. He might not have the biggest mean streak, but I feel like that that's going to change when he gets down to South Beach with Brian Flores and company. Uh, he's versatile. He can play either tackle spot. Uh, great, uh, great motor, super competitive upstairs. Uh, he's definitely he, he can be a mauler for sure. We just need to get that mean streak out of him. Uh, the only knock that really comes to mind with him is he needs to get a little bit bigger in the limbs. Uh, he needs to be a little bit more thick with two C's. You know, like the damn boy, he, he thick boy. That's what that's what we need out of Andrew Thomas. Get a little bit thicker. Uh, but the footwork on the slides and kickouts needs a little bit of improvement. But I mean. This, this seems like a no-brainer for me to fix this offensive line. It doesn't matter who we draft the quarterback if we can't block his blind side out uh, down South Beach, and he fixes that problem for us. Dude, spot on right. The guy needs to get in the weight room and get a little bit more juicy. You know what I'm saying? He's got to get that pump going and get more juicy. But on the other hand, I the only reason why I want to even Zoom with you on Thursday night is because I want to see your reaction when the Dolphins either move up and give away everything they have in the draft for Tua or sit there at five and take Justin Herbert. Because I want to see that, that look on your face because I feel like it's going to be Laramie Tunsil part two. <laughs> nah, nah, it's going to be fine. At the end of the podcast, we're going to break down my bold predictions for the draft. But, um, yeah, well, I'll explain why I feel it's going to go with the position player at five. Okay. Uh, but uh, at number six, so now the Detroit Lions, uh, as mentioned earlier, we traded – with the uh, the Los Angeles Chargers, we traded back to number six. Just to recap, I went, I got the sixth overall pick, a 2022nd rounder, and I got cornerback Desmond King. Uh, so with this pick, you know what's funny? I'll cut you off there. But remember when when we were like debating on the, on the draft uh, compensation, and you're like, yeah, you know, uh, let's throw in cornerback Desmond King as well. And I'm like sitting there like. Uh, okay, sure. What am I going to say? No here? Like, like, we're not paying. We're like, really the fucking GM here? Like, I just threw out a, a potential like, compensation. I thought you disagreed with it, but you're all like, 
how about cornerback doesn't care? And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. In this hypothetical situation, agree. <laughs> well, I'm going to explain to that. You know, there's got to be a little bit of negotiation. So by getting Desmond King, I address a glaring need in the corner in the secondary. I don't have Darius Slay anymore. Desmond King has been linked for the last couple of weeks as being a potential draft day trade candidate. And, you know, I, I pulled the trigger with the Chargers. And I addressed the need. There was no way the Dolphins were going to give me what I needed. Uh, I, I need to win now. Desmond King is a veteran corner, and he fills the need. So with that being said, we take Derek Brown, defensive lineman, out of Auburn. I mean, listen, he, if, if Chase Young wasn't in this draft, Derek Brown might be the top prospect uh, on the field. Definitely the de- the top defensive lineman uh, on the board at this point, and even in the early draft stages, he was the guy. I mean, Chase Young is an edge guy; he can line up at different spots. But Derek Brown, strictly from a defensive line perspective of things, he's the number one guy on the board, um, and he can he can de- he'll address the gigantic need that we have. We were bottom of the league in getting after the quarterback. He would change that elite size, strength, speed at the position. He's quick and twitchy off the snap. He can blow up blockers to help out the linebackers uh, to get penetration in the backfield. Uh, Jamie Collins, I think he's going to love playing with this guy. And I think it would be a good building block in place uh, to move to move him on the trenches with, you know, Trey Flowers and Jamie Collins. And there was another uh, former New England Patriot that recently just signed with uh, with the Detroit Lions. And they have to win now. And we don't really feel the need to get a quarterback in the first round this year. Matthew Stafford passes his physical and looks like he's going to be on track to start the season. And before he got hurt, he was great. So we're going to fix the defensive side of the football and, and uh, really get after the quarterback this year with, with Derek Brown. All right. Okay. Cool. Cool. Uh, with that pick, uh, I can see that uh, I can see your logic behind that. So you still have number seven as well, Carolina, correct? Yep. So number seven, we're going to address a, a glaring need on the defensive side of the football with the Panthers as well, too. Taking Jeff Fakuda, cornerback out of Ohio State. Uh, some have him as the best cornerback in the class. Uh, his comp is typically Patrick Peterson. Elite physical attributes at the position. Uh, helps a lot in press coverage off the line. Great great speed. Can a load a wallop on tackles when need be. And he plays with great feel and anticipation. I mean, there really isn't a whole lot of knocks in Akuda's game. Like, really the one that kind of, air quote, stood out was he might get tied up in blocks for too long with wide receivers, and that could create issues with, you know, containing the outside run uh, coming out of the backfield. But, I mean, he's he's fast. He's lightning quick. You can line him up all over the field, and he can really get after uh, people with the with the cornerback blitz as well, too. And I think he'll be able to, to fix a need that we needed to address for a long time, and that was the cornerback position, basically since Josh Norman left in free agency. So he fills that plug-and-play. Let's go. Jeff Akuda. And you're spot on right, man. The, the, the Panthers never really recovered after Josh Norman left uh, from that team. And I know I had this conversation with, with our buddy uh, Justin for a while. I never thought Josh Norman was that great of a, of a football player. But he leaves and they go from a 15-1 team to being absolutely crap. And one of the glaring reasons of that is because they just couldn't possibly uh, fill his shoes. There wasn't anybody to fill in his shoes and uh, provide that sort of uh, cornerback help. So... Uh, luckily, um, uh, these guys will take uh, Jeff Okuda in this draft for, for the Panthers, and I think that's probably going to be one of the better moves that Rule makes this offseason. Um, number eight, uh, which is my pick, uh, I have the Arizona Cardinals taken 
Tristan Wirth, which is an offensive lineman out of Iowa. Um, I believe the Cardinals are going to try to give Kyler Murray some help, and they take one of the better offensive linemen off the board at number eight. Uh, my rating for him is 93. His strengths, man, he, he has real athletic ability for somebody that big. Um, he can play both right tackle and left tackle. Um, and his wrestling background really shows up on, on, on tape, man. He has that he has that mean nastiness in him where he can actually manhandle uh, defensive linemen. Some of the weaknesses, man, listen, he plays. Um, sometimes he struggles with speed rushers around the edge, and sometimes he plays off balance. And that is the reason why I think some NFL teams might prefer him at guard over tackle. Um, but overall, I think they take one of the better offensive linemen off the board and help out Kyle Murray for some uh, four years on the road. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love this pick. I, I kind of laughed earlier this week when I saw the report that Kyler Murray was lobbying for C.D. Lamb to be drafted eighth. And it's, you know, I saw that and it's like, all right, I get it. You have a connection from Oklahoma. But the fact of the matter is, Kyler, you got sacked 48 times last year in a division where, you know, you have the 49ers entire offensive uh, defensive line, rather, with Nick Bosa and, uh, and Eric Armstead and, and company uh, that, that can really get after the quarterback. Your offensive line has been underperforming all year last year. Seattle Seahawks are no joke on the defensive side of the football. The Rams can still get after the quarterback. I mean, you really need to protect the asset, and uh, Tristan Wirfs really does that. So love the pick. And, dude, Iowa is like offensive line you. So anytime an offensive lineman out of Iowa is a highly touted draft pick, you got to pull the trigger on that pick. Yeah, absolutely. You're spot on right, man. They're, uh, they got a bunch of, uh, what do you call them, big men up there, you know? Yes, sir. Uh, Farmer strength. Uh, exactly right. Uh, number nine, you're on the board, good sir. You have a trade here, correct? Yes. Yeah, so we have another trade. The Atlanta Falcons and the Jacksonville Jaguars have agreed to uh, to a trade. Uh, Atlanta will get the number nine draft pick. Uh, in return, Jacksonville gets the number 16 pick, uh, a second round draft pick, number 47 overall, and a 2021 third round draft pick. This is a similar compensation to what the Steelers and the Broncos did last year, where the Steelers traded up to get their guy, Devin Bush. And it looks like that's going to be working for them in the long term. And we hope that helps us out down in hot Atlanta with this pick. And with that, we take cornerback C.J. Henderson out of Florida uh, as the number nine overall pick. And listen, we needed help at the position, and with C.J. still on the board, there was no way we could pass this opportunity up. Now, we paid a steep price, but we think he's worth every penny of it. Good size, great athleticism at the position. Some people have him as the number one cornerback over Okuda. I mean, it's kind of split 50-50 depending on, you know, what kind of knocks you're looking at the person. Uh, but he can mix and match appropriately with the coverage scheme. He's an absolute heat seeker on blitzes and chasing runners down. Uh, I saw a highlight tape. I believe it was Tennessee versus Florida. And this dude came across the field and, and tackled the, the volunteer tight end at the one-yard line, knocked the football out, and it became a, a touchback. So this guy can really track anybody down at will across the field, uh, can provide the jarring hit to create turnovers. And we need a physical presence in that secondary. We've had a talented defense, but we've never had depth, and we've never had depth at the cornerback position. And C.J. fills that need, takes a short drive up the road from Gainesville up to Hotlanta, and we think he could – be a cornerstone on this defense for years to come nice nice and then finally uh the number 10 pick uh, i am the general manager for the cleveland browns and i will be taking an offensive lineman um i'll take my guy back for 
for helping out on the offensive line for the Browns and making sure Baker Mayfield has some time and no more excuses. Um, from Akai Becton out of out of Louisville, um, I give uh, his draft rating a 93. Man, the guy is absolutely monstrous. The guy is what like six 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 seven. I forgot what his height is, but he's 364 pounds, which is something you really don't see much in offensive tackle. But the other thing on that end is he only has 17% body fat. So a lot of that weight is just pure muscle and man. So uh, you really don't see that. And I think that is the reason why he's just so good because he moves. He, he has feet that are very nimble. And you don't see many big men move as as uh, gracefully as he does. Um, I mean, besides that, the knock on him is, man, he didn't face much elite pass rushing in uh, the ACC. I mean, uh, the Cardinals haven't played much of uh, great competition. But uh, I think for the most part, this is a pick where um, Baker Mayfield is going to be very happy. Now, the one thing I can't see happening, and there's been rumblings about um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers trying to make a move and move up and try to protect uh, Brady some more. Um, keep an eye out for the Buccaneers moving up to try to take Mackay Becton. Um, and also, there's something that came out, I think, last night about, was it Mackay that had the uh, the marijuana issue, or was that somebody else? Yeah, he had a failed, I guess a air quote, failed drug test uh, under the current CBA. He would only be placed in like the... 60-day intervention program. Uh, but yeah, he he had a fail test at the Combine, I guess. Nobody's really looking at this as a red flag on draft day. It's not like Laramie Tunsil you know, smoking <laughs> smoking weed out of a gas mask. Smoke weed um, every day. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's, that's really it. Really the only knock, air quote, knock on Becton is, you know, yeah, he has the 17% body fat, but you know, during his college career, the the weight was a little bit of an issue to keep down. And I saw there was a quote that he really just loves to cook. So <laughs> maybe maybe they can kind of curb that, you know, maybe have Gordon Ramsay come in one day and start yelling at him, scare him straight. So, you know, if he's going to cook, he can cook a little bit more in the offseason, not so much during, you know, the playing year. Um, but no, I mean, solid pick. You can bookend him with, with Jack Conklin and really anchor that, that offensive line because yeah, Baker Mayfield, that offense as a whole stunk up the joint last year, but I mean, nobody would block for Baker to save their life. So yeah, Baker made a, a couple of bad reads, but his offensive line did him zero favors last year. Yo, I've been beating this drum, but, and you can see by the moves that the, uh, the Browns have made, this is Baker's last chance. Like, if they get Mekhi Becton and they have Jake uh, Conklin and they have, you know, Austin Hooper also helping out on the offensive line and you have, you know, Kareem Hunt and you have Odell and Jarvis and Njoku. Dude, you have no more excuses, Baker. Like, I guarantee you, and I think the six-game mark is where they're going to pull the plug if he's, like, two and four or if he's two and five at the seven-game mark. But there's a reason why they brought in, uh, what's his face? Uh, Goddamn, the guy that... Oh, Case Keenum. Yeah, Stefanski had Case Keenum up there in Minnesota with that great year. So there's a reason why they brought Case Keenum as a backup just so he's sitting there. And in case Baker fucks up, there that, that pole is going to be very quick and very swift, man. Yep, yep, I can see that. Uh, okay, well, that actually wraps up our draft um, 2.0. We are looking forward to the draft, man. And I tell you what, man, I am so excited to have some sort of sports I know at the end of the day, it's just going to be a show. And at the end of the day, it makes no sense that us fans get all riled up by just somebody reading a, a name off of essentially what Roger Goodell does. He stands up at our podium and reads off names. Um, but for us NFL fans, man, it's it's a special time of the year. And I'm so glad the NFL is here to kind of take our, uh, our, uh, our minds off the whole coronavirus thing for a couple of hours. 
Yeah, and he's going to be announcing picks from his basement. It's going to be a fun time. It's going to be like fantasy football. It's going to be great. I think that's what's going to be great for the fans is a lot more people can relate to the fact of doing stuff, you know, virtually in the fantasy football aspect of things. So it's going to be fun to watch. I'm excited. I mean, hell, I almost put on the WNBA draft last night just to see some (laughs) semblance of – of sports because really there's there's nothing there's nothing going on it's just a bunch of replays and you know I don't even know what Sports Center puts on anymore I haven't watched Sports Center since Rudy Gobert uh, you know got diagnosed with the with the coronavirus ever since then I haven't I haven't watched any 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 Sports Center or, or anything like that so it's yeah, all, fun to watch. All, all it's been for FS1 and Fox and ESPN it's just been reruns of old NFL games essentially that's all they're doing. And the only thing, the new content that the ESPN has is that big uh, documentary about the last dance with Michael Jordan and the Bulls, which, first of all, who in their right mind is going to sit week to week and watch that? Like, I'm not going to sit there and watch that. I'll just wait for it to, you know, end and I'll watch it all in one big bin session. But that's essentially all they're really playing on these sports channels anymore. Mm-hmm. Yep, this is true. This is true. I don't even know if I'm going to watch it. I don't even know if I'm going to watch the last dance. I, I mean, I might give it a gander, but... Probably not going to watch it all the way through. Um, but before before we sign off and before we start doing the plugs, uh, I just want to come out and put out there my big take for the uh, for the NFL draft uh, for this year. One of one of which involves my team, and one of which involves a uh, player that I have no problem admitting I'm a bit of a, a homer on. I have a little bit more favoritism towards this one person, but I think it has a way of playing itself out. And the first one is, you know, mirroring the uh, the mock draft that we did. I think that the Miami Dolphins are going to take a position player, more specifically an offensive lineman at number five, instead of getting, you know, the the you know the Justin Herberts of the world or the Tua Tagovailoa's of the world at number five. There's just there's too many question marks about Tua's health, and Justin Herbert, you know, he kind of redeemed some of his knocks about being the quiet leader by having a, a good senior bowl and being the MVP of it. But I just I don't think they're in love enough with either of these guys at the number five position. So I think they're going to take an offensive lineman here to shore up that that glaring hole that's always been there for a while, specifically the left side of the of the of the line. And then the other thing is I don't think Jordan Love is going to fall past 12. Whether or not John Gruden finally pulls the trigger and gets a quarterback he actually likes, there's been rumors that in a couple of earlier mock drafts that John Gruden has been high on Jordan Love. He wants to get a guy that can push the the football down the field, is athletic and mobile. There were rumors last year that he was willing to trade up to number one with the Cardinals to get Kyler Murray, but that, that trade never came about. And I think if Jordan Love's sitting there at 12 or specifically their other first-round pick, number 19, I believe, they might be able to pull the trigger and get Jordan Love. But I don't think he's going to fall past 12. And I think the Miami Dolphins are a lot more higher on Jordan Love than the other two quarterback prospects in the draft. He was the first one in for a private workout for, I guess, essentially a 30 visit. Uh, They've done a lot of homework on Jordan Love. And I think if Miami's able to trade up one of their picks – Hell, it might just be their number 18 pick in a 2022nd rounder to move up to, to number 12 this year. The Raiders get a second rounder they lost in the Khalil Mack trade. I think they might pull the trigger on that. So that those are my two big takes. Jordan Love doesn't go past 12, and we get an offensive lineman at number five. 
All right, all right. It's very, uh, very bold predicting, man. We'll see what uh, comes to fruition on Thursday night, my man. Uh, before we go, I just saw this come across PFT about 17 minutes ago. It looks like the Dolphins cut six players. Uh, nobody of any note, but essentially linebacker Jay Carlock and Jamal Davis, wide receivers Andy Jones, Terry Wright, cornerback Lyndon Stevens, and defensive tackle Jared Willis. Essentially, just clearing up, uh, clean up some space, man. Just to so, just so they can have those uh, 14 picks have some place in the roster. Yeah, and I don't even think they're going to use all 14 picks. I mean, they might use that to move around the board a couple of times, but I don't even know. To have freaking 14 players out of this draft is going to be kind of crazy. Um, what about you? Do you have anything, any thoughts on what the Patriots might want to do? If you're, if you're... Um, so there's been some rumblings going around the last couple of days. And listen, at the end of the day, man, you know my take on reports that come out this time of the year. A lot of times teams use them as ammo to leak information, throw off other teams from a scent. But there's been this report out there that um, the Patriots have been in direct contact with Bob Quinn, a former – Bob Quinn the general manager for the Lions, and he's uh, also a former Patriots guy. And then also Matt Patricia, head coach, is a former defense, defensive coordinator for the Patriots. But there's been a lot, a lot of rumblings how the Patriots have been in contact with the Detroit Lions to work out some sort of uh, move up to a number three spot and take Tua. Um, I don't buy it. I just don't think that Belichick is that kind of person. He's not going to, you know, leverage all that to go up to number three. And if he does, then that tells me a lot about how scared Belichick is in the post-Brady era because in his whole career, he's never done something that extravagant. So we'll see if that turns to fruition. I just don't buy it, but that's something I saw out there. And I don't know if you saw those reports either or not. No, no, I didn't see those. But, I mean, he hasn't really had a, a reason for the last 20 years to – to pull off some swash buckling trade. 20 years, but even before that, his days with the Browns, I mean, all his other time that he's been in the NFL, like he just has never spent that much draft capital to go all the way up there to take such a high prospect because his whole game is I'll find somebody later on. And what I would love for the Patriots to happen, this might be my bold prediction, I would love for maybe the second or third round if Jalen Hurts kind of falls. I think Jalen Hurts is the perfect uh, Patriot. He comes from two very big programs that take a lot to learn the systems both at Oklahoma and Alabama and he provides leadership but he provided leadership for both teams um, and overall he's a winner no matter what it was and the only reason he got you know benched was because this guy that came along by the name of Tua was so much better so I wouldn't mind Jalen Hurts being taken by the Patriots um, but other than that I just don't see them moving all the way up to number three to make a play at Tua or somebody else yeah oh, okay what if Herbert falls? What if Herbert, because a couple of mock drafts had Herbert, I mean, he they had him or, or two of falling out of the top 10. What if, you know, it gets down to early 20s, maybe 19 or so, would you have an issue if oh, they yeah. traded up? No, no, I would love that. I'm listen, I personally like Herbert. I think he's the third best quarterback in the, in the draft. He's not in the Joe Burrow or Tua um, league because I think they're elite special players, but I think uh, Justin Herbert with enough enough talent around him and enough good coaching and with Belichick, I think he can be somebody very good in the NFL for a long time. Um, I just don't want them to go after Jordan Love. I think Jordan Love, um, I know me and you differ on this, but I just don't see it. I the One of the biggest things that I know you can't fix in the NFL is bad decision-making. If you made bad decisions in college, you're going to make bad decisions in the NFL. I pray to God the Patriots don't go for Jordan Love, but if Justin Herbert is there at 19, 20, 21, dude, move up those two spots, take Justin Herbert, and let's see what that kid can do. Yeah, we'll see. I will say this. I'll end it on the on this with Jordan Love. 
You know who else had issues coming out of college with interceptions and bad decision-making and then became a Hall of Fame quarterback? Who's that? Dan Marino. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, Danny but Dan Marino. Marino also didn't win any championships, man. Like, the guy is good and he's good to throw the football, but, I mean, he's special. In your eyes, he might be, but I don't think Dan Marino is, like, an special elite quarterback like the Joe Montanas or the Bradys. And from 20 years of watching Brady, we can't just go to a normal quarterback. And this is what irks me about this whole thing is I was told for 20 years that Belichick doesn't, um, all, Belichick doesn't um, rebuild. He just re- re- reloads. But now all of a sudden we're in this complete rebuilding phase and we're going to go after a quarterback that, you know, isn't that special. So I don't know. For me personally, I want to see somebody – I want to be somebody – I want to see somebody that's just as good as Brady because I was told for 20 years that we just reload, re- re- reload we don't rebuild. Uh, it's going to be fun times in the AFC East. But um... – Oh, I'm ready for a 7-9 season, bro. And I'm going to put the pressure on Belichick every single week. Every single week. Because I was told, you're a genius, Belichick. So you better come through, brother, man. Hey, did you listen to the Howard Stern radio interview with Brady? Brady basically said it was 50-50. I thought that Oh, stop. What do you think he's going to go on national radio and say, yeah, I left because Belichick didn't give me a contract three years ago? Why not? His old man basically did oh, before the Super it. Bowl. Stop it. Come oh, on. Stop you know, it. You know, you know he's not gonna go on national radio and fucking blast Belichick or Robert Kraft. Or you know how it's good. You know how it's played. You just smile and you say thank you for the time, man. You just, uh, they, but there's a reason why Belichick Belichick decided that Brady isn't there anymore. And it's all Belichick's decision. You know what I'm saying? Well, hey, sometimes it's in the grand scheme of things, what's worse than being a year too early on somebody? A year too late. So I mean, he's had this run of things, and even Brady came out and said that prior to the start of the season, he had an idea that this was going to be his last year in New England anyway. So, but why? But why? I mean, this, yeah, I get that. But why do you think it was his? Why do you think he had that thought in the back of his mind? This is his last year there because he wanted to win one without Bill or see if he could win one without Bill. The bigger issue here is Belichick didn't give him the contract that he wanted five years ago. I mean, he, he Belichick essentially told him five years ago when he was uh, thirty nine. Um, Oh, I'm sorry. When he was 39, Brady wanted a five-year contract to go, to go to 45. And essentially, Belichick said, no, you prove it on a year-to-year deal. And year-to-year, all he did was go to Super Bowls and win Super Bowls. The only one that he lost was the one where he threw up 505 yards. So why is Belichick so hot to move off from quarterback where he has Jared Stidham now as a quarterback? Like, I, I just don't – it doesn't compute to me. Even if you are rebuilding, why not bring Brady back and have somebody sit behind him for two years? And Rodgers there for fucking four years. Why not do it that way? But then it comes down to, does Brady want to be a bridge guy? I honestly don't think he wants to be a bridge quarterback. I mean, at the end of the day, he has to walk away at some point. I mean, at 45 is what he wanted. And I think he would have played two more years in, uh, in regards to Patriots, uh, Patriots quarterbacks to make sure that he walks out at 45 and gives it to somebody else. Yeah. At some point, everybody's a bridge, a bridge guy. I mean, it's just what the NFL is. But I just think that Belichick prematurely pushed him out the door and thought about his ego more than what's best for the team. And he always stands at the podium every single week and tells us he does what's best for the team. But I think this move is not what's best for the team because next year is going to be 7-9. and nine. And who knows? Who knows if we ever get another quarterback that can go in the special run again? Who knows? Is there a guarantee? It's not absolutely one bit. Uh, it's going to be fun times. Fun times. Storylines that we live for moments like this. But, you know, prior to – before I start plugging anything, you, you – Got any more last words? You, you want the you got want the floor one more time? Uh, no, man. I've just uh, I've watched every single show on Netflix. Um, I'm running out of uh, vanilla Coke. Um, I just don't know what to do with my life anymore, man. 
Yeah, you got to watch Bosch. They released a new season mm. on Amazon. Mm. Yeah, you're right. That's on my list, man. I got to get to that. I've heard a, I've heard a couple of different things. And this is my last little thing. I'll let you go. The way I pick shows is if I hear from a couple friends, yeah, I'll put it in the back of my mind and I, you know, I'll just kind of keep it there. But if I start hearing it over and over again, then if I start seeing like mainstream media talk about it, because I know I was watching Colin Coward the other day and he started talking about it. And I was like, you know what? That's twice that I've heard this via friends and the mainstream media. It's time for me to give this guy a little checkout. So I think Bosch might be on the radar for tonight, man. Yeah, it's worth it. It's worth it. All right. Well, prior to sign off, just got to plug it up real quick. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Pro Football Radio Podcast, Twitter at PFR Podcast. I'm at Brand on Twitter at Brando underscore Puma. Jay Chima is at Jay Chima. Like, subscribe, download. You can find these episodes and previous ones on Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. Uh, be sure to download, like, subscribe, share with your friends, share with your family. We we got to have something else to listen to besides you know people that we live with talk. And why not listen to us drone on about football and what we're going to find on Netflix next and when somebody's going to have a mutiny and break out of their house. Uh, so yeah, check us out. Let us know how we're doing. If you have any questions or mailbag stuff you want to do, we're going to have plenty of time in the off season. Let us know. We want to tool this podcast towards you guys. And other than that, good sir, that's all I have. Awesome. Well, that's all I have as well. I hope you guys enjoy the draft. Hopefully it takes your mind off of things for a little bit. Uh, stay safe. Listen to your local officials. Um, they're looking out for your best interest, and we'll all get through this together. Yes, sir. Before I sign off, I got to hit hit a special somebody with this one time. Freddy Soliotis, you're fired! Wow. Other than that, via Condios, good people. Peace!